Hi, I'm Phil Moorhart, Senior Editor of American Libraries, the magazine of the American Library Association, and this is Call Number with American Libraries. It's been a little over a year since the COVID-19 pandemic upended every aspect of our lives, forcing us to change and adapt how we work, communicate, socialize, and learn. That last point is particularly important as it affects not only children, but also teachers and school librarians. Today, on Call Number with American Libraries, we talked to school librarians about how they transitioned and changed their work and services during the pandemic. First, American Libraries Managing Editor Tara Dankowski speaks with three school library media specialists for Goochland County Public Schools in Virginia about how they pooled their resources to make bookmobile services available to kids who are learning remotely. Next, I speak with Melissa Jacobs, Director of New York City Schools Library System and the New York Department of Education's Department of Library Services about how librarians in the largest school district in the U.S. operated during the pandemic. But first, a word from a sponsor. ALA Job List is the award-winning source for jobs in library science and technology. If you're looking for a new job or an employer who wants to advertise a job opening, Job List has you covered. Job seekers can refine and filter services by position type, employer, location, post resumes, and automate alerts to never miss a posting. Employers can rest easy knowing that ALA reaches the engaged professionals that you want to hire. It also simplifies recruiting by offering flat rate pricing, discounted multi-ad packages, and enhanced postings for increased visibility. ALA Job List is where job seekers and employers get results. Visit joblist.ala.org for more information or to begin your search today. Get on the list. When the pandemic began, three school library media specialists for Goochland County Public Schools in Virginia, Sarah Smith from Goochland Elementary School, Sue Vaughn from Randolph Elementary School, and Zoe Parrish from Bird Elementary School, decided to bring the school library experience to kids learning remotely by bootstrapping their own bookmobile and traveling around the district giving out free books. American Library's managing editor Tara Dankowski spoke with the trio about the inspiration behind the project how it worked, and tips for those who may want to try it themselves. We start with their introductions. Hi, I'm Sarah Smith. Hi, I'm Sue Vaughn. Hi, I'm Zoe Parrish. Okay, bookmobiles we commonly associate with public libraries. So let me ask Zoe, uh, what was it that compelled you as school librarians to bootstrap an entirely volunteer-run bookmobile during the COVID-19 pandemic last year? And what was that conversation like between the three of you? Well, when school shut down in March of 2020, we continued to do parts of what we do as school librarians by attending planning meetings with teachers and helping to prepare materials for virtual instruction and visiting virtual classes. And we were creating digital read-alouds and activities for students. But one important piece of what we do as school librarians was missing. And that was getting books into the hands of our students. 
We were hearing from our students and families about how they were missing access to reading materials as well, since the county libraries were also closed. Additionally, we felt troubled by students that we hadn't heard from at all and the lack of access to engaging reading and learning materials for those children. The three of us met a lot in the early days of the pandemic and our conversations were always so focused on what we could do for our students and their families to help them through that time. I think the first conversation about the bookmobile stemmed from our love and concern for our students and we were discussing and trying to figure out how to best use our role as school librarians and the resources and the connections that we have to help our students and to get reading materials to them during a time when they had no access to that. During that conversation, I asked Sarah and Sue if it was a totally crazy idea just to fill a van with books and drive around our county handing them out for free. And being the incredible student serving and adventurous librarians they are, they jumped right on it and our bookmobile idea came together pretty quickly from there. Sarah and Sue are worker bees, so together we divided up the task to bring the bookmobile into reality in a very, very short time frame. Also, I think we all agreed that it did seem crazy to try to fill the van with books and venture out in the middle of a pandemic, but we knew that together we could do it and it would provide a vital service to our students and to the community by getting books into the hands of our students and providing access to quality reading materials. Now, Sarah, how did you get the vehicle and the books? Um, can you discuss the partnerships that the three of you decided to make and the donations you solicited from the community? Sure, so um, we touched base with our transportation department about securing um, a county vehicle that we could use for the bookmobile. And it ended up being a maroon minivan. Um, and we were able to take the seats out so we could pack it full of books. Um, and um, on occasion, there were a couple occasions during the summer when we um, could not get the van. So we did drive our own cars and pack our own cars full of our books. Um, prior to our runs, we um, sorted out the books by grade level and book type and genre a little bit and had them sorted so that we would be able to get them in and out of the van pretty easily. Um, we became pretty efficient at getting them in and out and packed in a, in a short amount of time. So we had our county vehicle that we could use, um, and which was nice because we could ride together then. Um, and as far as the books, when we started out, we used books that we had um, in our libraries that we would use for prizes and things and books that we had purchased from book fairs previously. And we knew we had those at school and we knew we had some books um, for our own, um, like I have a, a little free library at school. So we had our own books from there that we kind of went in and gathered and um, sorted out so we had those. Um, then we also partnered with our local YMCA um, to have some book donations from the YMCA. And then we also had some partnerships from some churches that wanted to donate books as well. And then as this got rolling, we had parents from schools and teachers contacting us with, hey, you know, we've been doing some spring cleaning during this pandemic and we have all these books can we put them towards the bookmobile? And so of course we said yes. So we would collect them either while we were doing the bookmobile or at a different time. And we would let them sit for 
the two weeks in between um, our bookmobile, and then we would be able to um, put them in the rotation for the next time. Um, we also partnered with some local churches um, for our stops. Um, and so we made contacts with local churches as well as our uh, local fire departments, which were our other stops. Um, so we partnered um, with churches, fire departments, and um, our own families um, from our schools who donated books. And so last summer, you ended up distri uh, distributing about uh, 2,800 books to more than 700 children, which to me sounds very impressive for, you know, a first-time bookmobile route. Um, and I know uh, Sarah touched on this a little bit, but Sue, can you talk a little bit more about the bookmobile stops and how families knew to show up and how you guys got the word out about this? project that you bootstrapped so quickly? So the distance from one end of Goochland County to the other is pretty long. Um, and we wanted to cover as much of it as possible to maximize the number of people who would benefit from our services. Um, and so the decision was made to stop at two locations in each of the Eastern, Central and Western sections of the county. Um, and as Sarah mentioned, we reached out to some local churches and fire stations who were very generous and eager to allow us to use their um, parking lots for setup. And we also joined forces with um, Goochland County's Sunshine Food Bus, which began traveling across the area in the summer of 2019 to distribute free meals to all students. Um, and by pairing up with some of the Sunshine Food Bus stops, we were able to reach even more families and share our love of books with them. So once we determined our routes, we developed a communication strategy that involved sharing bilingual information, informational postcards with Goochland's Department of Social Services, as well as posting on our school websites and every social media outlet possible. Um, and our super, assistant superintendent of instruction sent out regular school messenger calls to remind families to visit the bookmobile as well. So we had a huge, um, you know, informational, uh, I don't even know what to call it. <laughs> you know, it was, we just went crazy with getting the word out however we could. And we continued to tweet and post photos of our adventures on Facebook um, throughout each bookmobile journey, um, hoping to connect with the community and continue to spread the word. And because of the extreme heat, we made sure to include photos of our free ice pops, which were an added bonus for visiting the bookmobile. Sarah, can you talk a little bit more about how the distribution process worked and what types of safety measures were taken? Um, you did mention kind of quarantining the books and waiting to put them into the into the cycle. So uh, a little bit more about that. Sure. Um, that was one of the um things that we discussed, uh, of course, we were, you know, going to be doing this in a pandemic, we had no idea how many people would come. Um, but we did put on our um, flyers and our information um, that we would have hand sanitizer available for everyone to use and that we would um, strongly encourage masks. And I would say most of the people were masked, we were masked the whole time, which in July was pretty hot. Um, but we kept our masks on and um, as we would pull into our bookmobile location, as we were unloading boxes, one of us would make sure that everybody got a squirt of hand sanitizer. Um, and so before they could go to the books, 
um, we would make sure that they were um, sanitized. Also, we had the books spread out in, in kind of a large location, again, um, by age and, and grade, um, and then that kept people kind of spread out. And then we would do hand sanitizer again if they wanted to afterwards before they got their popsicle. Um, and so the books then, um, you know, if they were touching the books, everyone was hand sanitized before we did that. And like I said, most people were masked. Um, and then the kids would get their books and they would come in line and get their popsicle. And um, we were only there for about 15 minutes or so, though it was pretty quick. Um, in and out, but most of them knew right where to go, right what they were looking for. Um, and sometimes they would say, can I get more than two? Of course you can. Um, people would say, could I get something for my grandchild or for this? Of course, take what you need. Um, we would advertise new books as they came in. And then once the bookmobile was done for the day, we would take and divide our books um, and we would put them in our garages or our basements. Um, and let them sit until the next time. So we did have um, safety precautions in place and um, let families know um, that we would be having those. Sue, uh, you mentioned uh, documenting the bookmobile journey. Um, did you take turns driving the van? Did, any idea how many miles were clocked acro across uh, Goochland County? Or do you have any interesting stories from the road you wanna share? Um, yeah, sure. Um, although we were all given permission to drive the county van, Zoe became our official driver for about our 240 plus mile summer bookmobile adventures. It might have been more than that, but that's sort of what I calculated it to be. Um, there were also two separate night events for families that weren't able to visit us during the very hot and humid mornings. Um, and for those events, the three of us drove separately and met up at the local high school. Um, Sarah was kind enough to allow me to ride in the passenger seat of the bookmobile because I tend to get car sick. And so she ended up getting squashed between rather large bins of books in the middle section of the van. At times it was quite comical, although Sarah might not have seen it that way. <laughs> um, and as we traveled, Sarah, Zoe, and I envisioned what it might be like to take our show on the road as a full-time job, which led to many Google searches for the perfect vehicle to drive. Um, my personal favorite, if you tend to Google it yourself, is called the Book Bus. It's a VW bus that's been converted into a mobile independent bookstore in Cincinnati. And so we had dreams of, you know, raising funds so we could have our own VW bus to drive around the county as well. Um, but in all honesty, this was such an amazing team bonding experience. During the school year, it's so difficult for us to find common times to meet and the bookmobile um, journeys that we had allowed us the opportunity to just laugh and brainstorm and laugh some more. It was pretty awesome. Zoe, we're at an interesting point in this pandemic. Um, vaccines are being distributed and a lot of libraries are you know, starting to reintegrate their in-person services while deciding what of the, which of the socially distanced and virtual services to keep. Um, since it was kind of uh, your idea that kicked this off, um, what tips do you have for school librarians who might want to try a bookmobile, either because the, com uh, the community hasn't fully recovered yet, or um, just as a way to prevent summer slide, or, you know, even just to work together with other school librarians, as um, Sue mentioned? 
Yeah, so I'm sure that you could tell from some of our answers already that this project was so near and dear to our hearts. And we would be very happy to share any logistical tips with anybody who's interested. You could find our contact information on our school websites. We have quite a, a long list of logistical tips, but I also want to encourage librarians who have an itch to do a bookmobile project like this just to go for it. While our project did take quite a bit of work, it was 100% worth it. We made connections with students, families, and community resources during this bookmobile project. They've only strengthened our community and also supported our mission as school librarians. The impact of our bookmobile was greater than we initially imagined. One thing I would tell others considering a bookmobile would be to first assemble a team of people who feel as excited about the potential impact of the project as they do, and also people who will share in the work. I mentioned that it's a lot of work, but dividing tasks makes it absolutely manageable. And we're really lucky on our team that we all have different strengths and we could divide the tasks according to our individual strengths. Would also just recommend using those social media resources and finding other ways to make visiting the bookmobile as exciting as possible. Like we, as um, Sue mentioned, we partnered with the Sunshine Food Bus or Sarah mentioned, but we partnered with the Sunshine Food Bus. We always had popsicles. We loved having the opportunity just to see our kids even from a distance and to to chat with them and to be able to direct them to where the books were that we knew they'd be interested in because as Sarah said earlier, we had them divided based on age level and also separated into fiction and nonfiction. So we had a real sense of organization to the project. Um, so this, this project was amazing. And we do reminisce about the good old days of the bookmobile often now throughout the year. And hopefully someday we will be able to recreate this again for our county. So we would love to share any logistical tips with anybody. If anyone's interested, they can find our contact information on our school websites. And we, we hope more people will take on adventures like this to be able to share a love of books and reading throughout their communities. It may just be spring, but summer will be here before you know it. And that can only mean one thing. The American Library Association's 2021 Virtual Annual Conference and Exhibition, of course. Join us June 23rd through 29th for seven days of speakers, programs, meetings, and more, all from the safety and comfort of home. It's early, I know, but we have some great guest speakers lined up so far, including actor and author Stanley Tucci and author Arely Morales. And of course, there are hundreds of programs, sessions, and more led by your friends, colleagues, and today's library leaders. Registration is open now. And if you register before April 16th, you can save. So please, get on it. Register and find more info on all speakers and programs at 2021.alaannual.org. I'll see you there. New York City Schools is the largest school district in the U.S. And as director of its library system and the New York Department of Education's Department of Library Services, Melissa Jacobs oversees hundreds of school librarians. I spoke with her about how the pandemic impacted the district's librarians and how they adapted their services to meet the needs of New York City's youth, 
including creating a free COVID-19 ebook collection for parents to use to help explain the pandemic to kids. Here's our talk. I'd like to give our listeners um, a sense of the size of the New York City school library system. Um, how many librarians are, are employed by the system totally? It's a really good question. So for those that are not familiar with New York City, we are a very large urban environment on the East Coast and um, have probably at this point in time over 8 million people in New York City. Our Department of Education system has 1.3 million students in it, and we have roughly 1,800 schools. As the New York City school library system, I serve public schools as well as non-public schools, and so that number goes up quite a bit after that. Um, I would say at this point in time, we have several hundred school librarians in New York City, um, it is a shortage area across the country, and I'm hoping to recruit and um, increase the number of school librarians that are effective and certified over the next few years. And with with that many um, students that that you're charged with and that many librarians, library workers in the systems employ, I'm sure the pandemic must have immediately presented a variety of different challenges, especially like at the very beginning. Um, can you discuss what, or tell our listeners, what were some of the most immediate challenges at the pandemic's outset that you faced? You know, it's, it's, I've relived this story so many times and it still is unbelievable about where we were and how we got to where we are now. And so at this point in time, having over a year under our belts of life in a pandemic, um, you know, we transitioned really quickly to go from in-person instruction to, you know, remote learning. It just wasn't up on our, even on our radar. And for everyone, you know, going back into that point of time in March, thinking about shutting the entire system down, the largest system in the country, was just unheard of and, and unbelievable. And to be taking this call where I'm still in a room in my house is, is still unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And there's been a lot of adjectives used over the last few months and verbs um, with pivoting and unprecedented and, you know, unbelievable. It, it it still is unbelievable, and I think that this is something that's going to impact our lives for years to come. And when we do have an opportunity to get past it, to reflect on the experience, I think it's going to be uh, just an overwhelming um, deep sigh. So going back into March, we moved from from being in person to remote very quickly and we had a few days to prepare and one of the things I did with my team and I have a team of four school librarians library coordinators is we looked at the roles and responsibilities of school librarians and said okay we need to figure out how to make this work for people working in a remote environment and we created a document called the translation of practice and the translation of practice, you know, we, we, we put it together really quickly. I think we were all just running on adrenaline. 
Um, we looked at all these school in school practices, you know, from providing instruction for a diverse student body to, um, you know, curating a collection to collaborating with teachers to, um, you know, having a structure for student assignments and, and having a, um, collaboratively teaching and said, okay, what do these look like, look like in a remote environment? And so the translation of practice built on the focus of climate, creating a climate conducive to learning, collaborative planning, um, integrated and collaborative teaching, our information fluency, connecting um, aligned resources to curriculum and student needs, technology, and, and even, you know, what does a virtual facility look like helped us develop this tool that has become the translation of practice, of practice for school librarians. Once we had that developed, and we pushed that out in that first week, we had a guiding document to help us think about what remote learning would look like. And we started having and hosting chat and choose. Part of it was to check in. Part of it was, you know, a sanity mental wellness check. And then part of it was how do we take this translation of practice and, and make it into a rote and make it work and take our program and disconnect them from the brick and mortar buildings and connect them to the virtual environment. And so ultimately, you know, the program to me is about is is more is more virtual to begin with. You know, it's not it's not the facility. And I think people get so stuck on the facility and the library itself. Mm -hmm. It really is about the librarian and what the librarian provides students. And so that's where my focus was. How can we as a team support librarians in instruction for their students and support librarians in having resources, getting ebooks, providing technology support, creating institutions, um, um, policies and procedures so they can function and have a strong program and have that continue to connect with families and, you know, to meet them where their students were, whether they, you know, were in their bedroom or whether they were in um, these community centers that were set up or whether they were, you know, some, some left town completely and were signing into their classes virtually from another country. And so how do we keep everything going? The one thing um, I find fascinating that, that you did um, was you created this ebook collection of, of, of curated books for uh, uh, dealing with COVID-19 to be used by parents to help explain the pandemics to kids, and you're offering this this, this uh, collection for free. How did that come together? So this is one of those things. You know, we, we threw a lot of spaghetti at a wall, and we're wondering mm -hmm. what would stick. And this is one of those things that just took off on its own. So one of uh, my team members was, you know, curating titles and sending them out to our listserv and, you know, a lot of authors and, and illustrators were coming up with these books. And, and she regularly reads and, and researches 
collected these types of materials. And so as weeks went on, the collection, you know, what she was sharing to the listserv was becoming more and more frequent. And I said, you know, we, we should really capture this and, and curate it on, on a collection. And so we use a tool called LibGuides. It's basically um, a library-facing web, website tool. And I said, let's, let's put a collection together of books that are free and accessible to kids and see where it goes. I mean, it literally just took off, had a life of its own. She built it and I promoted it and shared it out and it just got, it just got larger and larger. Um, at this point in time, the last I checked, I think we had 127,000 views from around the world. Wow. We continually get titles um, and um have authors and illustrators and publishers from around the world reach out to us to include their books. And there, there have been several books that have dropped off because they either, you know, they had a limited time for being free or they, um, you know, they, they were so popular that they, people realized that they could sell them. Uh, we, we just want to focus on free content. And what's interesting is that, you know, we have this really large collection and it's in so many languages and from so many different countries that to have this overview of something that's worldwide, you know, I can't, I can't remember in, in my lifetime, obviously, another experience that has impacted every country every part of the world in one way or another. And, you know, it's this shared experience and explaining that shared experience as we're understanding it ourselves to children is, is remarkable. And seeing how other countries come together to develop this material and sharing it with kids is, is also fairly impressive. Um, you know, and, and some of the content is around just wearing a mask and some of the content is about the virus itself and, you know, your friends and worries and what, what a coronavirus is. Um, it's interesting to look at the content and dive in deeper and see how the materials have developed over the last year because I think that, you know, we know more about this now than we did, you know, at April of last year. And so the, the materials, the books, ebooks have gotten much more involved and, and more descriptive of COVID and the experience. And, and I, I would love at the end of all of this experience to go back and do a deeper dive into the material after we all take a big sigh of relief <laughs> that we've survived this and, and see what we can learn from this experience and what we've curated. New York City Public School children are going to be returning to their classrooms this month. Is it, um, what is it, phase two, I believe? Like, um, how are your librarians preparing for this inevitable day? We're continuing our work. I, I, you know, it hasn't changed. We are, I feel like we're wearing, you know, little pivot heels, but we continue to provide instruction and support to our teachers, to our families, to our kids. I think that the benefit of having kids in the classroom is that it's much easier to check in and make sure they're okay when they're physically in front of you. 
Uh, there's still kids that are learning from home and that re are remote, and every school is doing things a little bit differently. I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all for New York City. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we continue to provide support. I think, you know, one thing that's very different for librarians than classroom teachers is that, you know, we, we're not grading kids. And so we function in a little bit of a different realm than, than our content area teachers because we don't have that assessment attached to us. And that puts us in a, in a different place because I think kids feel safer that they're not being graded or judged by us. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and also our our teaching and our learning happens and our collections extend beyond the content and the curriculum. So, you know, we're we're we have always as as a profession provided support for social and emotional wellness that extends beyond that curriculum area. And I think, you know, we will continue to do that and develop innovative programming that is based on, you know, ongoing needs assessments about what do kids need, what do the families need, what do our students need, what do our teenagers need, and, and how do we continue to provide that support? It's not, you know, every day is different. And, and I, I, I love my job because every day is different. And I think the librarians that are serving our kids in New York City specifically are innovative, are creative, are, you know, flexible, and are really eager and excited to meet the needs and the challenges that they are they face on a regular basis. That wraps another episode of Call Number with American Libraries. Many thanks again to Sarah Smith, Sue Vaughn, Zoe Parrish, and Melissa Jacobs for joining us today. Tune in next month as we look inside law libraries. I honestly can't wait. Do you have something to say to us here at the podcast? Well, we want to hear from you. Now, on Call Number with American Libraries, you can reach out to us directly and tell us your thoughts and opinions about our shows and more with your own voice. Call 312-857-6761 and leave us a message that will maybe, just maybe, be featured in a future episode. That's 312-857-6761. I want to hear from each and every one of you. As always, I'm Phil Moorhart, Senior Editor of American Libraries, the magazine of the American Library Association. And this is Call Number with American Libraries.